bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Hi, everyone. This is Britta Wedeling, and you're listening to the Bits and Pretzels podcast. This is the time of Corona, and therefore the time of virologists, a species that's more prominent than ever these days. If you also happen to be the founder of a 16 million member strong medical research network aiming to win the Nobel Prize and are part of the German government's Elite Digital Council, then the Bits and Presses podcast is the place to be in these times of so many questions about how medical and data-based knowledge can help ban the corona pandemic. My guest today is Iyad Madish. He's a medical doctor, a virologist and the founder of ResearchGate, which allows its 60 million members to exchange medical research data, an idea that convinced Bill Gates and Peter Thiel, among others, to invest in his company. And Ilya thinks that right now, as we all look for the best and most secure ways out of this lockdown and back into a somewhat normal life, we need to trust in science, in data and try new technologies like the tracking app that's currently tested by the German government. I think if we want more freedom um, in the next months, we have to track better. And in order to reach, let's say, a better or a closer to normal state, I think technology can help. Of course, we have to look at the privacy issues and we have to be smart how to design th this app. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking you are, most of the people giving already their data to Facebook, um, is in, you know, and now we have to be thinking about giving it to the government. The founder of ResearchGate also believes the old adage, publish or perish, is not necessarily true anymore in this time of digital networks and specifically at a time a virus races around the world. The way that people share um, is, is different than before. They don't wait anymore until it's being published in a magazine. They just publish it immediately into ResearchGate, which is again a, a, a faster path to publication. But in our conversation, we also talked about Iyad's personal perspective and about the company he started 12 years ago and the significant restructuring it went through over the last two years, which Iyad calls tough and exhausting and what other founders can learn from his personal evolution as a CEO. At one point, you have to understand that the founders can lead the company only to, to some level of the organization. And then you have to bring in people who have done it before. And, and that was what we did the last two years. Hey, Ia, thanks for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you, Britta, for inviting me. This is a phone call, so we don't infect each other. So uh, where are you and who are you keeping a distance from right now? So I am right now in the office, to be honest. Um, so in Berlin? In Berlin, yes. I'm in Berlin, my office, and because of the internet. So I'm still waiting for my fast connection at home, which I will going to get next week. Until then, I am most of the time still in the office um, to use the quick, fast internet here. You also have an interesting uh, CV. You are born in a small town in, in Germany. Uh, ResearchGate is obviously based in Berlin. You did, did, you did your postdoctorate at Massachusetts General Hospital, which is part of the Harvard Medical School. And you have a PhD in virology. But you started with studying computer science. So, so what inspired you to do all of, that, all of that? Can you give us like a 60-second summary here? Yeah, um, so I think it started 
all in the ninth grade when um, we had a sleepover in the school in a library, in a public library. So the whole ninth grade went to a library and we slept one night there. And the um, the teacher gave us a um, gave us a task to read a book overnight and summarize it on the next day. And the book I took was about HIV research. So there was my uh, interest peaked um, around mm -hmm. virology. Um, and then I wanted to really my life. Then I started also to look into computers, compared viruses in computers with, hum in, with viruses in human beings. And then I realized, okay, I really want to do medicine, but I also want to do um, computer science. I um, mean, this led to this double studying. Um, I finished then um, medicine with my doctorate thesis in virology. I never, unfortunately, finished my computer science degree. Um, mm -hmm. A couple of uh, exams are still left. Um, but then this also all together um, led also to the founding of ResearchGate in 2008. For those of our audience who don't know ResearchGate, which is probably just a very few number, a very small number, what exactly do you do and what's the purpose of it? Yes, so ResearchGate um, came out of a need um, which I realized when I was a scientist. Um, as a scientist, you in the most cases, you're producing failed experiments, so experiments which don't work. Um, the majority of those experiments are disappearing, um, and therefore you are uh, not sharing those results with other scientists. And this leads to quite a lot of redundancy in research in the world. So just to give you a number, around 90 to 95% of the research I did was failed, um, and only the 5% which worked out um, is positive result. And this mm -hmm. then led to the idea, why is there not a platform, a social network for scientists where they can share exactly um, their um, research, um, their skills, uh, what they're working on, and collaborate with other scientists on a global scale. And this is what is ResearchGate about. So obviously you are in the headlines now for combating Corona, um, you know, the COVID-19, uh, the crisis that we are all dealing uh, with. Have you introduced any special measures or services on ResearchGate to you know, to, to tackle uh, the process? Yeah, so the, the interesting thing is that ResearchGate was already equipped with the right feature set to tackle um, the global COVID-19 crisis from the scientific point of view. So we have around, over then, you know, around 11,000 um, COVID-19 researchers um, and around 400,000 of their co-authors on ResearchGate. So 410,000 um, on ResearchGate around COVID-19 research working and sharing their research already. Um, one thing the researchers asked for, and we immediately also realized that this could change quite dramatically the speed of discovery is, why is there not one space, one area, um, a community page, where all these scientists have a quick overview about what's happening um, and, what's the, and what are the research elements being shared um, and um, And all that together, also offering them a safe space for the scientists to discuss these research uh, data points and publications um, and not mm -hmm. participated by the public. And this is what we, what we built mm -hmm. in the lab. There's obviously, sorry. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Jump in, <laughs> so jump there's, in. Obviously, there's obviously a lot of discussion around what we know about this virus from a scientific perspective, also about, you know, numbers around people infected from country to country. Um, you know, some countries run more tests than others. 
how do you look at these different scenarios uh, the, company, the, the, the countries report about and politicians report about? So we don't hear anything from, I mean, North Korea, which is obviously for obvious reasons, right? But how do you look at these, like as, as a scientist, at these different numbers uh, being around in, in the public right now? So I think it is, generally speaking, a very tough um, topic um, um, because of the because of the situation that we are in. Um, it shows again how important it is to measure uh, in the same way, um, and this is why science is so important and so it's so um, so yeah. all around the world we should work similar. If I look at okay. the numbers, um, it's it's again very tough because the the testing is not equal. The way we measure is not equal. Um, the only thing we all know, it's a virus which beforehand infected uh, animals and now infects human beings. There's no immunization in, in human beings. Um, and this is now the moment where this starts to happen. And um, we will, again, everything we see right now, I think it's just the start, um, especially um, in countries like the United States or Uh, United Kingdom, where, you know, they took quite a long time, not any measures. Um, and I think they will struggle more than, than other countries in the future. Well, I, I really have to admit, I'm, I'm really struggling uh, with, you know, all the people I know in the United States, right? Because it's obviously, specifically, you know, friends I have in New York or in San Francisco, um, it, it's so important that you have like a working healthcare system in this time of, of a crisis and like a like to to some extent a scientific community that works on this on these problems that you can rely on politicians that you can rely on as somebody who also has like you know very close relationships to people in the states uh, bill gates is one of your investors for example how do you look at these different situations or states our countries are in Germany compared to, to the United States? And how do you explain this to yourself as a scientist? So, um, first of all, I think I'm very happy to be in Germany. So, um, I think the, Same here. Yeah. <laughs> the, the healthcare system in Germany is quite strong. And I think this is, again, there are so big differences between, for example, the United States and Germany, but also other countries, of course, right? Um, so, I remember being in Germany, then I went to Boston, um, And of course, if you go to Harvard, you just, that's a different world. But there's only one Harvard, there's only one Stanford. And there's not a strong middle ground, um, yeah. which, which you need in this kind of crisis. Germany does have that. Um, they have a lot of middle to upper, uh, uh, you know, upper uh, top-notch um, um, clinical um, hospitals, um, which again, in the States, you have like a handful of very strong hospitals um, with a lot of good equipment. But if you go in the middle of nowhere, um, you're lost. Um, in Germany, it's almost it doesn't matter, right? If you're somewhere, you still have a proper hospital close by. And uh, with, again, um, compared to other countries, a, a strong, um, strong equipped with what you need in order to treat these type of infections. So, right. yeah. Maybe you don't have you don't have you don't you don't have internet access, but you you have healthcare. Exactly, exactly, yes, exactly. I, I think 
this is this pays off right now, right? <laughs> pays off that uh, we have a strong hospital network in Germany versus um, versus other countries. Yeah, com coming back to what what I talked about earlier, Bill Gates, who was one of your investors, um, Matt Kohler, who's another um, an investor of yours, and uh, you've collected, I think, eighty. $7 million uh, since you funded the company 12 uh, years ago. What was it that attracted these personalities uh, to work together or to invest in ResearchGate? And how do you work with them today? Because, I mean, Bill Gates announced that he's starting all these different initiatives around Corona, um, building these uh, factories. So what, what's, what's the relation uh, there? So, um, yeah, they invested all of them because of two reasons. One is because of the mission we have and the impact the company can have if we succeed. Um, but also, of course, um, the financial um, impact the company can have. Um, so the combination of doing something good, but also being financially successful um, is, is, is quite unique and it's quite rare in the world. And right now I'm in close contact for sure with Matt Kohler, almost on a daily basis um, with Ben from, from Tanaya. Uh, Luke uh, from Founders Fund. I'm in touch with the team of Bill, uh, Bill Gates, um, uh -huh. for things which I need um, or they need. It depends on the situation. Um, but so far, again, very helpful. Um, also, Goldman as a bank, um, which invested um, a couple of years ago, also very helpful. So it's interesting how um, also now in this crisis, especially maybe even more so than before because they see what the real value of ResearchGate is. Um, they become even stronger in supporting um, the company. Mm -hmm. yeah. Talking about ResearchGate as a company um, and actually about the business, the business model, how do you make uh, money? Yeah. So currently we're making money with um, selling advertising to um, from us, um, to biotech companies um, and mm -hmm. also working in the recruiting space. Um, facilitating academic institutions or corporates um, to find the scientists they need to be successful. Um, so both of them are um, good business models. Both of them will make us break even. Um, but again, you know, longer term, I have uh, bigger goals um, to, to also really tap into the um, grants ma uh, market so every year, um, hundreds of millions, and to be exact, around 600 billion um, money, uh, 600 billion dollars are being invested into research. Um, and there's a quite a lot of inefficiencies how this money is being distributed. And that's also where the goal of ResearchGate is in the next years to really tap into that market and to help to make this market more efficient. And you have a turnover of currently some 10 million euro. Yeah, well, uh, last okay. year we made uh, close to 16 million. Um, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but you also have to deal with losses, right? Is it typical for a young company or have critics a reason to be critical? I think um, critics always have a reason because it's easy to criticize, right? Um, and I also think we as ResearchGate went through a significant restructuring in the last, in the last two years, um, which also was um, quite, um, let's say, Uh, uh, um, tough and exhausting, um, mm -hmm. but also ended up positively. Um, and I think most of the companies uh, don't succeed in those transitions to be solely founder-led to becoming a professionally managed enterprise. Um, and I think this was 
where we went through the last two years. Um, and now we set up a very strong leadership team, very senior leadership team, um, which is ready for the next phase of ResearchGate. Um, so yeah, we, we didn't burn that much last year. So um, I think we are, again, we had even uh, November last year was on a monthly basis break even on EBITDA. Um, so, and we are foreseeing um, yearly break even uh, in 2021 um, if we don't invest into growth again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, we, I think we, again, last two years were not easy, for sure not. Um, you know, we just, you need to change as a startup at one point. You have to understand that the founders can lead the company only to to some level of the organization. And then you have mm-hmm. to bring in people who have done it before. And, and that was what we did the last two years, yeah. And this is, I think, a learning that's quite interesting for other founders in our audience as well. So how do you, when, how do you realize that you need this kind of change and how do you manage to, to do it? Yeah, I think this is one of the toughest realizations. And it also took me quite a long time to realize this. Um, um, especially uh, roughly two years ago, I had a, an offer um, of an investment firm, very famous investment firm to invest quite a lot of money into ResearchGate and I declined the offer um, because I realized that the organization needs to be rebuilt first before we pour more money into the organization. Um, mm-hmm. This decision, again, I heard this from many people, many wouldn't have done it, many would have just taken the money. Um, I don't think that money is always the solution to problems. I think money many times can create more problems. Um, innovation uh, happens better and faster if you have Uh, a good um, trade-off between too many and not in, uh, and too less resources. So for founders, honestly, it is a very tough moment. And uh, the only way how you can get there is if you have the right, the right advisory around you who just mm-hmm. you know, pointing that out, saying, hey, and I said this to my co-founder when I need to have a tough conversation with them, And at the end, they were so positive and they were not, you know, they were not upset at all. And they're still in the organization. They just t- took a different role now. The one thing I said to my co-founder when we're sitting in a room and I'm trying to tell him that I need to hire someone else who's replacing the position, I said to him, hey, we're both sitting in this room and we both don't know what we're doing here. Um, mm-hmm. This is absolutely not okay if you're in a room and you're both figuring it out for the first time in your life. Um, and I think this is also where, honestly, it was always my, um, my, um, my, it, it was me. I had to grow as a CEO to realize exactly this, that I need to hire the right people to help us to build the organization, um, for the next stage. Great. So let, let's come back to the uh, Corona uh, situation. Um, and I think as a international platform, which ResearchGate surely is, uh, you get a lot of input from all you know countries from all, all around the world, from China who just went through the crisis and is on the way to you know be, be become a, be, you know reach a better situation. To, to Italy or Spain. So, so talk about what kind of input you get and what it tells you and, and us about the stage of this crisis. Well, that's a, that's a tough question. I think the, um, so what we see at ResearchGate is that a lot of the publications, of course, are coming um, more from China right now because there's where the data is, has been most or earliest um, 
Um, and this lead, of course, to a lot of um, sharing out of those countries. Um, and also the, the way that people share um, is, is different than before. They don't um, wait anymore until it's being published in a magazine. They just publish it immediately into into ResearchGate, which is, again, a, a faster path to publication. Which is interesting is, again, we will see, there's a combination of how people live together, how the healthcare system is, how fast the, uh, the governments are reacting, how strong uh, is the discipline of the population. I think all these elements will decide at the end uh, how badly a country uh, will um, uh, will be hit. It's interesting, in my opinion, very interesting observation that we are closing all the borders. Um, mm -hmm. It is from a simple view, if you look at it very simply, you would say, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but on the other hand, if you think through this closer, and then you start to like, think, well, mm, I'm not so sure if that makes so much sense, which should we not work rather together? And that is the interesting thing in science. They don't care about borders, right? Sci scientists yeah. are working across the borders and they are tearing down those borders to make the big breakthrough happen. So it's interesting I think the world will come closer to each other after the crisis um, and a very important role to that, that to happen is, is science, uh, in my opinion. So you would say that in this actual crisis, from a scientific perspective, it doesn't make any sense to close borders because it doesn't help to contain the spread of the virus? I would I would have put it differently. You need a good plan after that because what what are you going to do with the borders? So yeah, are you going to have them closed now forever? When are you going to open them again? Like what is the what are the what are the data points you're going to take um, um, to to decide whether or not um, to close the borders and to open them again? Like, let's put it let's put it let's let's think about Germany as a country. Uh, are we closing the borders of Brandenburg now versus Berlin? Is it maybe also a good measure to do? You know, some Berliners would like that. I would say <laughs> yes. So, I, but that that is the point. And then you go next. Are you closing the borders around Prenzlauer Berg of Berlin? So I'm trying yeah, to let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> and then at the end, everyone is at home. And so I am just saying it is a um, it is a archaic way of dealing with the situation. I think it is right now that the right thing to do. But we have to. Fast enough, find other ways. We have to use technology to maybe not close the borders, but also try to contain um, the disease uh, with existing technology. So you are somebody who talks to the German government on a regular basis. So, so do you think they do a good job in handling the crisis from a medical perspective or a founder perspective as somebody who looks into different areas where innovation is happening? Uh, yes, I think in case of Germany, I'm trusting the German government. I'm trusting also the German biologists. Um, I like that we are thinking more before we just do stuff and before we talk. And I, I like that attitude. I like this, especially in crisis mode. Um, this do uh, uh, attitude, uh, just do attitude is not helpful in crisis. Um, in crisis, you ha you need to think more than you than some people would might uh, 
might uh, admit. You mentioned new approaches to tackle this crisis with using technology. Obviously, one thing that's being discussed right now is a tracking app that, you know, tells the user if or if she or he was, you know, in contact with somebody uh, with a virus. Um, do you think that's a good idea or like a right approach to, to tackle this uh, the situation? I think, yeah. Um, let's say the simple answer is yes. The, the tougher answer is, is between yes and no, as you say in German, jein. Um, so, um, yeah. So first of all, I think if we, we want more freedom um, in the next months, we have to track better. And in order to reach, let's say, a better or a closer to normal state, I think technology can help. Of course, we have to look at the privacy issues and we have to be smart how to design th this app. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking you are, most of the people giving already their data to Facebook, um, is in, you know, and now we have to be thinking about giving it to the government. Um, and I think people like Chris Bose, who are working on this together with Stephanie and, and many others from the Digital Council, They're very uh, um, uh, thorough people and they will find solutions to have as good as possible anonymized uh, data um, around this tracking. Right, because at least we get something out of it with this tracking app. I mean, Correct. you know, we don't get anything like not much back from, from Facebook because we're basically <laughs> uh, the product of, of, of Facebook. So talking about other opportunities for founders, because when I talk to founders, they, they are like all excited about new opportunities let's tackle the crisis together how realistic is this really for somebody who comes from the outside wants to do wants to help wants to find a new solution to to contribute to tackle uh the corona crisis um for, for somebody who is not from the scientific medical community and what kind of approaches do you see or like point of entries do you see for them Yeah, that's a very good question. So I, I have seen a lot of activism, like a lot of people just doing stuff. I'm not sure if this is really helpful. Um, I also have seen a lot of like product people thinking about testing drugs and testing medicine, like testing a product on a website. These are two different things. Like there's a reason why there are scientists doing a very specific way of, of clinical research. I think the And like you can do stuff, and I think there are a lot of things we like people can do, uh, which doesn't need a lot of scientific knowledge to be successful. Um, for example, I, when there was the hackathon uh, organized by the government, over 40,000 uh, participated. In one project, um, I was a mentor there, and one project I was working uh, with um, was they they thought about how to design very simple washing stations in front of uh, supermarkets so that every supermarket can build it on its own um, on its own um, so everyone who comes into the supermarket can wash his or her hands before they enter the the, mar um, the market so very like simple but very effective ideas um, none of the people in this group was a basic scientist or was a virologist but it still was a very valid idea and a very product you can do stuff but you have to know your limitations so I, i see this quite a lot now people reading papers scientific papers and maybe taking the last two sentences of an abstract and say yeah this drug works against this virus why don't we just use that more and then you're like yeah just read the paper a little bit deeper you will see this is not so easy as you're saying 
Um, but and this is also what I'm a little bit scared of um, is the the way we do clinical research right now and clinical studies because we're rushing into it and that we have to be careful. So talking about the fact that some drugs who were developed for other diseases, for example, Ebola, are now being tested. So you feel that, you know, we are rushing into finding a medication? Yeah, so you, you have, for example, chloroquine, which is a malaria drug. Then you have azathioprine, I think, another one, which is a, I think, an HIV drug, if I remember correctly. Um, and there have been, let's say, promising results, early results in early research studies. But all of them, if you're really honest, and if you're going deep into those, um, they are not perfectly um, designed let's say, clinical studies. Um, and what I have heard was like, yeah, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't create any side effects, which is also not right because these drugs have um, significant side effects, but even if so, you, they don't have side effects, what is the problem? It's just give it to the people. And no, there is a problem. Like if you have a drug which you're using against the virus, which you don't know if there's any effect, and you're killing the virus only and you, you, you're reducing the virus concentration to 90% or to 10%, that's the other way around. So you're killing 90% of the viruses and 10% are left in your body. What happens is you're putting pressure, evolutionary pressure on the virus, and this can again lead to mutation. Um, so it's not smart just to like randomly treat now people with random, uh, random drugs. We have seen the negative impact of like a lot of treatment with, uh, with uh, drugs in the antibiotic therapy um, around bacteria, where we also have problems in the next decade. So I'm just saying we have to be careful just like throwing stuff out. I think right now we have to do the, the distancing um, and the tracking, in my opinion, and give the scientists time. I don't think that we will have a vaccine this year. I think we will, earliest, we will have a vaccine next year, in my opinion. Uh, which is already a feat. If we're making that happen, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. What are the key steps you believe should be undertaken in, in the medical community, but also among founders uh, to move forward uh, in banning uh, the crisis? So I think, first of all, we have to equip the medical, we have to equip the hospitals better. Um, I think that has to be the number one priority. So my brother is a a clinical director in Hanover, uh, a professor there. And the stories he's telling me are um, uh, like a horror scenario uh, where he tells us, you know, we don't have enough um, uh, equipment here if we need to, and um, uh, we don't have enough masks. Um, we have to do proper coaching of the whole population. Um, wash your hands, very simple. Uh, a, a very interesting side effect of uh, the current crisis is We have less infections, less uh, influenza, so less flu infections um, and deaths than, than before because people are uh, washing their hands properly. Um, so um, that, is, that is a good side effect of the current crisis that people uh, are taking care of their uh, hygiene. Um, around the founders, um, we have to divide between, again, people who really want to do something now which has impact but i can tell these people if you do that you need to work on this for the next months this is not a two weeks mvp thing which you can launch and then you're like yeah that works this is not this is like science and research in these areas this is like longer stuff you need to be mm -hmm. in the long game if you want to do a difference if you want to make a difference now 
Um, so I think this is important to, to understand uh, if you want to jump into this space now. This is not going to be something you could just like pull off in in a couple of minutes. ResearchGate took 10 years to be there where we're now at. Um, right. And if you look at the growth rates, um, it really took off after, I would say, roughly five years. Um, and then took another five years until, for example, Springer Nature, the second largest publisher in the world, um, talking with us in a strategic fashion um, and more publishers are to come. So science is a very slow moving um, uh, beast, which is not good, um, but still this is the case and uh, things are not as easy as in product development. It would be great if they would be as easy as in product development, but they're not. Science doesn't scale specifically. We talked about the, the reconstruction or like the things that you changed within your company. Um, is this situation accelerating your turnover? It's a combination of both things. On the one hand, more attention, more usage, um, positive things, positive uh, attitude, energy in the company, the people are motivated more than ever. Um, they really can have an impact. Um, on the other hand, of course, um, and when we talked about the revenue streams, one of the revenue streams is recruiting. Universities and corporates are not recruiting right now. So, uh, which again, it means we cannot sell our product to them, which again means our revenue will be hit um, in that um, um, in that revenue stream. Um, again, March wasn't as bad, so we had a ninety three point a ninety three percent attainment versus our goal. So only seven percent hit, which is almost nothing. Um, nevertheless, I foresee a bigger um, a bigger hit in the next couple of months. So it's a Unfortunately, it's a mix. It's not only good things, it's also unfortunate things. But I think ultimately, um, one quote, which I really love from Andy Grove, um, I don't, I'm not sure if I get it 100% precise, but it's around, it roughly, it says, bad companies die in crisis, good companies survive them, and great companies become stronger. Um, and I think this is, um, I would say to every founder, every company, this time will prove you build trust in crisis. You don't build trust in good times. You always build trust in bad times to your employees, to your investors, and to yourself. And I think this is a chance for everyone to prove um, that you can make a difference as a founder. Right. I mean, and also if you are a big mega company such as Amazon, you will win, you know, in mm -hmm. any case. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we're seeing right now. Um, so coming to the next part of our uh, of our conversation, our beer garden break. Uh, since we can't be sitting at one table together, we are going to have our avatars scoot over to our beer garden bench and have a steam of Bavarian beer. Of course, coming out of a dishwasher and a bottle, so no virus can you know affect it. So let's do a virtual cheers here. Cheers, but I don't drink beer. Cheers. I can drink water, if you don't mind. You can drink whatever you want. <laughs> okay, then cheers. <laughs> cheers. So tell us a little bit about your background. What brought your family from Syria to Germany? Uh, and what was it like for you? So my, my parents come from uh, poor families in Germany. Um, and my father was the only son um, of his uh, 
uh, in his family. And his father said to him, you know, go um, here. This is the money I have. Please study something which makes money so you can pay for our family here and can help our family to survive. And then my father went uh, together with my mother um, to Turkey and he studied medicine um, there um, and uh, finished it. And then he decided to move to Germany, become a doctor here, stayed here. Um, I was born then in Germany. Um, it's interesting. I never felt I'm, I'm a foreigner. Of course, I, I was a foreigner, um, and uh, especially in the early years, because you are, on the one hand, you are at home, at home where you have a different culture, and then you go to school and there's a different culture. Um, so it was very, very uh, tough as a kid. So I, I felt different, but I think this gave me also strength um, and, and um, quite... Um, let's say, being being always, I always want to prove that I can do better. Um, my father is uh, 85 years old, um, so quite old, and he told me one thing which I never, he never told me before, but it's interesting how he starts to become more open about things. He said, when I was in hospital, the pressure was always very high. Um, and I said, why? And he said, you know, I was the only foreigner. They would have fired me immediately if things would have gone wrong. Um, hmm. so he worked always hard. He said, I always need to work harder. I always need to be ready and I need to be prepared. I, I studied more than anyone else just to be, to know more than the others. And this, I think, uh, somehow was, uh, um, uh, transferred to me as a human being. Um, I'm thankful for a lot for my parents, also from all my siblings. I have five siblings, by the way. So I have four sisters and right. one brother. Um, and you also family. remember, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, and, and you also a member of the German government's digital council. Uh, normally, people from the entrepreneurial scene or the founder scene that I know from, you know, my time in Silicon Valley, they would always keep their distance because they say, "Oh, yeah, you know, politicians they make the law and we make the business." So, what you know kind of inspired you to accept uh, that assignment? Um, I remember when Angela Merkel called me. Um, asking for me if I want to, to join or asking me to join the Digital Council, I asked for the weekend to think about, um, which, as far as I know, I was the only person asking for a weekend to think about the position. Um, and this was becoming a running gag in the government, as I heard later on. Um, but I, they I don't really have much, they, they, probably they don't have much to laugh about. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, so... But then I thought the whole weekend and I tried to I tried to listen to myself and try to understand why do I say yes to this? Um, and the one thing which came to my mind was, okay, I learned a lot of things um, in entrepreneurship um, and how to do things and how to build stuff and how to get things out of the ground. Um, I'm not, I was, I think politics, politics in general is very tough, very, very tough. You know, I have 180 employees, tried to make 180 employees happy impossible and now you have a country with 80 million so i was always had a big respect huge respect for politicians it's a very tough job very very tough um but i on the other hand i thought i cannot just look and criticize i also have to do something to give something back to germany and i think this was when we talked about my parents and thankful to be here in germany i wanted to give something back and i learned so much in the, my last decade of a uh, being a scientist and a founder 
that I knew I maybe can help in some of the areas. Um, and this is why I said yes at the end after the weekend. Right. And you also, you know, and this is a very famous thing uh, that many newspapers reported about. You kind of caused a splash because you were wearing shorts and flip-flops when you were meeting uh, with the chancellor and the council at the inauguration last year. Uh, was this like a, I don't know, like like a provocation that you did on purpose? Or what did you want to... What did you want to signal uh, there? On this day, it was 30 degrees in Berlin. It was really warm. Uh, I also don't have a suit, by the way. Even if I would have said, if everyone, someone have said, you have to wear a suit, I, I don't know if I would have found one. But no, I, I, um, I, I was wearing what I feel comfortable with. Um, and I think at the end, it really comes down to um, what you have in your brain and how you act um, and not what you wear. Um, I honestly did not believe, um, did not foresee, sorry, did not foresee that this will become a viral thing um, in Germany and even even outside of Germany. I never would have believed that this becomes such a big story, honestly. Um, but then I entered the political scene. This was the first thing was like, oh my God, okay, that is different now. Um, um, this was the, my first moment. Um, um, uh, moment in the political um, life um, that people look differently at you. But the feedback has been, as far as I read it, very positive because people felt um, this um, also brings a little bit more fresh air into the political environment. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm yeah, again, I would do it again. Um, again, it was 30 degrees on that day. I, I was, honestly, I felt very sorry for all the others who were wearing suits um, on that day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just saw that uh, while I was in, in California, where it's never 30 degrees. It's always cold, colder, kind of, <laughs> because it's kind of cloudy and, and stuff. So, like, how do you, I mean, how do you, how do you organize your private life in these times of social distancing? You mentioned you went to the office. So how does private life feel? Yeah, so first of all, the, the beach volleyball is the one which annoys me most, that I cannot play this right now. Um, that the courts are all closed and shut down. Um, so I'm still training, of course, like running and uh, fitness, gym. Um, so doing like uh, at home all the training I can do without any weights. Um, so I'm still doing that. Uh, and now at home, I'm, I need to organize myself. Um, the first 10 days I was working like crazy, um, crazy hours, always on the phone, always at the computer. Um, now I'm trying to reduce that, but still it's tough. It's very tough. Um, it's not only the reason home, it's also the reason that COVID-19 is a crisis where we as research can, can do really something um, to make the crisis go away faster. Um, so this is why I am motivated to, to work more, uh, but still you have to be careful. So I'm quite organized, get up in the morning, uh, do my workout um, almost every day, um, then breakfast, and then go and start to work. And then I usually have um, my important meetings um, or um, podcasts like now um, in the afternoon. And then I... Important podcasts. Yes. As I said, I'm just going to highlight this uh, with you, Britta. So then this, I then decide to go to the office um, until I have my fast internet connection. Um, if I have my fast internet connection uh, from next week on, then I don't have to go to the office anymore in the afternoon. 
So do you ever think about working as a doctor again or as a virologist in, in these times? I offered my help. Um, so my PhD thesis is enabling me to do all the testing. So if, if they need in labs people who help in testing, I could do that. I know I work with this equipment. I know with these procedures. Um, interestingly, uh, before the crisis started, I took my leadership team to Hanover and we've, I visited my uh, old uh, mentor and professor um, in, his, in his laboratory in the virology. And we did experiments with viruses with the whole leadership team. It was super fun. Um, so it was funny because when the moment where I entered the lab, your brain just switching back to the lab researcher mode and you just know the stuff. It's like uh, riding a bike. If you learn it once, you don't forget it. Um, in case of being a medical doctor, I would um, say that I'm not as experienced. Um, I, I, of course, I could help, but I would not be someone who... Um, who would add a lot of value. Um, I could do like the basic stuff as a medical doctor and I would learn stuff while I'm doing it. Um, but I think like, I, I discussed this with the board because I also told them I potentially consider my uh, consider on the weekends to help in laboratories or in hospitals. Um, but honestly, my, the biggest impact I can have right now is be the CEO of ResearchGate and continue to work on the platform and making the platform the place for COVID-19 researchers to exchange knowledge and know-how. You've been quoted many times about wanting to be awarded a Nobel Prize for ResearchGate. Uh, what is that about? Yeah, so the ninth grade story, when I, you know, I told you this before, when we slept in the library um, and I was reading um, a virology book, like an HIV book, the, the teacher asked me uh, in that, um, in that uh, review session, What's your goal? What do you want to achieve? And everyone needed to answer. And I, my, um, my answer was, I want to win the Nobel Prize. Um, and this was my goal. Um, and I, because I knew at the time, HIV is not, a, not only a deadly and dangerous disease, but it's also a uh, social stigma that people get if they are infected with HIV. Um, so I wanted to uh, work on that and win the Nobel Prize. So this was my dream very early um, in life. Um, and then I started you know, working in virology, went to the States, and then ResearchGate came. I really believed in the early days and still believe if we are making all the scientific disciplines more effective and if we making them faster uh, in terms of finding the right people, finding the right resources, finding the right equipment, they need to be successful um, yeah, I thought, okay, this research gate should win the Nobel Prize for that at one point if we are making that happen. Um, it's the only and the first and biggest social network virtual community of scientists in the world where they're actively working in all the different disciplines. And now it's the first time um, there's a, a big crisis where we are impacted by as human beings um, and research gate gets a lot of attention. Um, and I think this is where I thought, okay, maybe... ResearchGate will, will win the Nobel Prize. However, I changed my mind uh, over the last years. I'm also becoming wiser and older. Um, I re I'd rather want uh, scientists who are using ResearchGate to win the Nobel Prize by having the big discoveries. And we are just uh, facilitating and enabling those people to have these discoveries. So, so what do you think uh, are your chances to win it right now? Mm, not high. 
Okay. Ian Randisch, thanks for coming uh, on the Bits and Persons podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Britta. All right, that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your feedback and your thoughts. Please write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com if you want to suggest who we should interview next time. Stay safe, stay healthy. See you next week.